Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The Thornish that claims we've turned a corner on addressing the housing shortage. We debate rising tensions between Washington and Moscow after a Russian fighter jet collides with a US spy drone. We asked, should Ireland be a peacemaker in a world of rising tensions? Washington is one of the centres of global politics and for the next few days, Ireland is at the centre of Washington. The teacher, Leo Varadkar, has been telling us some of what he plans to raise with the US President, Joe Biden. And later is retrofitting only for those who can afford it. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. start tonight with the Taoiseach, who's in the United States for St. Patrick's Day. I'm joined live from Washington now by our political correspondent, Gavin Riley. And Gavin, uh, the Taoiseach has been talking to you tonight about some issues closer to home that he just can't get away from. That's right. He might be a seven and a half hour flight away, Claire. We might be 3,000 miles from home, but there are some domestic issues that Leo Varadkar can't shake off. He's been doing a few media engagements here in Washington this afternoon and this evening, but they've really been dominated around questions of housing. Leo Varadkar conceding that when he's talking to various enterprise customers and various potential investors here in Washington, that he has to be upfront with them, that they might find it very difficult to get any housing for any workers that they could be sending over to Ireland. And of course, he has been answering questions once again about the evictions ban, something which he says the government is going to stick to its guns on, that although it is going to perhaps result in a short-term rise in homelessness, that it is better to have a short-term rise now than to delay an even greater problem further down the line. But there has been a lot of debate in recent days around whether Ireland has in fact turned the corner on housing and what in fact that might actually mean. There are good figures now for housing completions and for new uh, construction or commencement notices, but not necessarily when it comes to the numbers ultimately of people living in emergency accommodation. So I asked the teacher what exactly would be his definition of turning the corner on housing. Okay, so I heard what the Tanisha said. Um, he said that we turned the corner on, on housing construction, on, on new home building, and I think that is manifestly true. Um, after the crash, um, you know, when the state was broke, the construction industry was destroyed, the banks were bust, um, we were building as few as four or 5,000 new homes a year. Um, by the time I finished my first term as Taoiseach, we'd quadrupled that to, to 50,000, or sorry, 20,000 new homes a year. We're now up to 30,000. So um, I think it's manifestly true that we've turned the corner on new home building, um, but we're not yet building anywhere near enough, uh, in my view. And Housing for All talks about scaling up to 40,000 a year, and we'll probably need to go beyond that for lots of reasons. Chuck has also been talking about what he'll say to President Biden about the war in Ukraine. What did he have to say to you? Yeah, this was a fascinating answer because one might think on the face of it that Ireland wouldn't have a huge amount to raise with the United States about the war in Ukraine. Ireland, of course, is not a member of NATO. It's not any significant military power at all. In fact, it has been stopping short of offering any uh, hardware as regards military aid uh, for Ukraine, limiting any support effectively to other non-lethal ammunitions and for training. Uh, but there was a very interesting line from Leo Varadkar about what exactly America could bring to the table. And he's really been singing from America's hymn sheet. Of course, this is a city where you can't really go anywhere without 
being reminded of America's own view of itself as being this, this leading power in the world, this force for good, this idea of a shining city on a hill. And that was the theme that Leo Varadkar really tapped into when he spoke to me about exactly what he could raise uh, when he does talk to Joe Biden on Friday about the ongoing war in Ukraine. Well, I suppose my main message to um, politicians here in Washington, D.C., from both parties in Congress and in the White House, uh, is really asking America to stay the course. Um, in the last century, America led the fight against fascism, uh, then led the fight against communism, and now in this new century, um, America is leading uh, the free world in the defense of Ukraine, its desire to be a democracy, to have self-determination, to have independence. Um, and we know from history that when America withdraws from the world, the world becomes a more dangerous place. Now, you might take from that very final comment that that is something of a slight against the former U.S. President uh, Donald Trump, someone who, of course, took a, a slightly less interventionist approach on global affairs and someone uh, whose party right now is still arguing against uh, for any further American taxpayer-funded aid for Ukraine. A little bit closer to home as well, just on one final note, Leif Radker was also asked uh, about the comments of Jeffrey Donaldson, who is also here in Washington for St. Patrick Weeks, as indeed are many of the leaders from uh, the Northern Irish political parties. And Jeffrey Donaldson was telling an audience here at the Press Club in Washington that he doesn't believe the win framework as it currently stands addresses some of the significant concerns that the DUP had about the Northern Ireland Protocol and about the North's place in the UK. Leo Varadkar very much playing the diplomatic card on that front, saying that unionists had asked for time to digest the contents of that framework and to seek more clarification from the UK about how it would be implemented into domestic law. That is something Leo Varadkar says he still wants to do and he's not going to make any prejudgments about what exact stance the DUP will take when they do decide whether to back this framework or not. Okay, Gavin in Washington, thank you for joining us tonight and bringing us up to date on the Taoiseach's latest uh, comments. Well, I'm joined on my first panel tonight by Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne and People Before Profit TD Richard Boyd Barrett because we're going to talk about Ireland's place in the world in a week when we are on the big stage. And uh, I want to come to you first, um, Richard Boyd Barrett, on this because the question is, do we tap into our potential with neutrality as a peacemaker or are we a staunch US ally that won't question uh, foreign policy? And clearly from what the Taoiseach has had to say tonight, we may have... ...founded precisely in opposition to war, in the opposition to the First World War, and where the founders of our state precisely said we should not align ourselves with big powers. And today that means not aligning ourselves, obviously, with the horror and warmongering of Putin, but equally not aligning ourselves with, with the United States, with NATO, with, you know, regimes that support Israel for what it's doing to the Palestinians, regimes that arm Saudi Arabia to carry out brutal atrocities in Yemen. Uh, so where's, where's the consistency, where's the neutrality in the foreign policy that's being pursued by our government? I don't see it. Um, Malcolm Byrne, you know, what message do you think we should be sending? We heard what the Taoiseach had to say there. America should stay the course. Uh, they're leading the free world. Do you think that's the right message? Or do you think there is a place to call for peace in this war? Well, it's, it's, it's very clear as to what, uh, you know, Ireland's position is in the world. And the government... Is it, though? It's uh, not. The, the government's... Well, well let, let me clarify, because this is a critical difference between the government and the alternative government uh, that Richard would like to see in place. Um, the government strongly supports, and I can speak on behalf of Fianna Fáil, of uh, a multilateral uh, world based on human rights, on democracy, on the rule of law. Those are values that we believe are very important. Mm -hmm. It also is, by the way, around the sovereignty of nations, the importance of 
individual small nations the right for them uh, to uh, defend their, themselves and their citizens. And this is where there is the difference. And Richard is right, the difference between my party in coalition uh, with Fine Gael and indeed the government parties and Richard and his putative partners in Sinn Féin and others on the hard left. Uh, we support multilateral organisations. So the difference will be, for instance... So, so what are you talking I, about? I, what, I want to, what I want to talk about yeah. is, so, so as, a, as, a, as a party, we are not a neutral country. We are a non-aligned country. That means that we don't close We're our eyes... We're not a neutral country. We're not a neutral country. When do we change our we, view on that? Sorry, sorry. We are a non-aligned country. And a neutral country is one that does not take a position where there are human rights abuses. So on an issue like Ukraine... Uh, we are very clear. We support the right of the people of Ukraine to determine their own future. We believe in Russian withdrawal. It's a very clear difference to Richard's principle as, principles, as he outlined in his recent letter to the Irish Times, you know, where he didn't call for Russian withdrawal when uh, President Zelensky Sorry. addressed when President Zelensky uh, addressed the Joint House of the Roctus, he sat on his hands. When it comes to our membership of the European Union, which is okay. hugely important, Richard's party supported Brexit. Well, how many programmes I... here have been about debating the context of, of the, the consequences of, of, of Brexit? Okay. And I Richard just want needs to, to be held to, you... to account I, I, for, for foreign look, policy. Look, we'll, we'll, we'll get through some of those foreign policy um, uh, points of difference. But just... On um, the war in Ukraine, can't we condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine as illegal and yet say it is now time to, to open peace negotiations, knowing ourselves it's how violent conflict inevitably comes to an end? Is there an opportunity for the, us as a neutral country or a non-aligned country, as you're now uh, calling us, yeah. to do that? So it is, but the very first thing that needs to happen um, is for Russia to withdraw. Russia has violated all the principles of, uh, of the UN Charter. Uh, you cannot have a situation whereby you can have peace negotiations where Russia you know, has broken all of the agreements into which it enters. It violated the terms uh, of the UN Charter. Russia needs to withdraw from Ukraine and to make very clear that it respects the sovereignty of an independent country. And as far as I'm concerned, and as far as the government is concerned, we as a country are going to continue to stand with Ukraine. We will not supply them with military uh, material, but we will supply them with non-military material. And at international okay. level, and in we'll... international fora, we will insist that Russia will be held to account for the genocide that it is committing against the Ukrainian people. OK, um, Richard, I want to bring you in on that. Um, you know, I suppose, look, how, how do we stand within the EU and take that different stance? Literally... You know, we are, we are in the EU, they are making these decisions and we seem to be tiptoeing uh, and picking what we want to do, like all these, you know, pussyfooting around saying, you know, we will help training, we will help supplying armour, but we won't pay money towards arms. You know, is it possible to even do that, maintain a neutrality and also, you know, stand for peace? We're trying to do a lot of things, are we? Well, first of all... Malcolm is making a pretty remarkable but accurate uh, admission, which is the government have abandoned neutrality. He doesn't even now want to use the word neutral. Uh, now, most people in this country support the idea that Ireland is neutral uh, and that we do not uh, side with big powers who are involved in military conflict and wars with each other. And it is absolutely clear that the government see the Ukrainian... We, we side with Ukraine. The Ukrainian crisis. Oh, yeah, Do we side yeah, with no. Ukraine, Richard? Yeah. Yes or no? 
I absolutely believe the Russians, and we've said it repeatedly, Malcolm, so you shouldn't misrepresent our position. I condemn, and we condemn, absolutely, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's a horrible, unjustifiable, brutal, murderous, imperialist uh, assault. No question about it. But the difference is that we're also uh, insist on saying the same thing about you, the United States when it does such things. But Malcolm won't say that. In fact, Malcolm's party facilitated a very similar invasion where the United States did exactly to Iraq what Vladimir Putin is now doing to Ukraine. So it seems that Europe's principles about opposing war and opposing illegal invasion and illegal occupation only apply when you're talking about uh, adversaries of the United States, but never when you're talking about the United States. And that's before I even mention Israel's illegal occupation of Palestinian territory. Where are the calls for sanctions on that? None. A lack of consistency in our approach when we claim to be a non-aligned and neutral country. Well, 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 let's be very clear on Palestine and the first uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs in this country uh, that called for recognition of Palestine and the two-state solution uh, was the late Brian Lenehan Sr. over 40 years ago. So there's been consistency in terms from my party on its recognition. But it comes back to, to your question, which I noticed that, that Richard will try to steer away from. Yeah, but from, on, on which a world stage now, when we're, talking, when we're talking about human rights abuses and us standing up for that, and you point to the situation yeah. in Ukraine, shouldn't we also be pointing to the situation with the illegal settlements um, in, in the West Bank and, and maybe taking and, a stronger, as, as, more vocal uh, stance I, I, there? I and as, as a government, we have, and Micheál Martin has been very clear on those issues. And, and this is crucial when we come no to... Do you when think we, we come could be to... more powerful, though, in, well, in being, as you say, well, that non-aligned country, that we could uh, be more and, vocal across the and, board and, when it and comes this to is, human this rights is, issues? This is the, the difference between being neutral and non-aligned. By being neutral, it basically means we don't get involved, we don't talk about our principles. I believe what is important is that we stand up for principles and around human rights and the rule of law, wherever it happens. And that includes, by the way... Uh, being able to criticise the United States and other democracies or what's going on within Have the European Union. Have we done Union that? And, you know, well, I'll, I'll give you an example even within Hungary, within the European Union, where because of the, uh, the abuses, particularly in Hungary, of the LGBT community at the moment, uh, Ireland is taking a very strong stance on those issues. But equally in countries, for instance, that Richard supports... But that would be a like, Europe-wide approach, yeah, wouldn't but, but it? Hang on, hang on. But it's, it's about Ireland standing up mm. and, and joining in with those actions. And equally in countries that Richard supports, like the regime in Venezuela, which is he is supporting which is the Who biggest refugee. It's it's people before profit regularly support. So you condemn so 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 here's, here's <clears> the question then. Do you condemn the Maduro regime in Venezuela in terms of its approach? I condemn I absolutely condemn rights abuses that have been That's committed so, by those regimes. But what I what I absolutely so, oppose is US. Uh, attempts to undermine democratically elected governments uh, in Latin and America, I, which I've consistently by the way, by done, including I, I, in Venezuela. I, I, I agree with you, right? Uh, but this is the point that you as never an call out country, US. Sorry, you never call not, out the United that's States. That's not the case ever. And, and by the way, the US is a strong ally um, for Ireland. Uh, and I mean, it's going to be interesting if if Richard ends up uh, in government with Sinn Fein, whether he became a minister, uh, whether he would go on one of the St. Patrick's Day trips. Uh, which is not just crucial, by the way, from a foreign policy point of view, but from an economic point uh, okay, well, of view as well. OK, well, I'll ask you that, Richard, would you? Would you be happy to uh, go uh, to the we... White House and, and, you know, share the boat? Not particularly. No, not particularly. And would you I, do I tell you, I tell you if I was going, I'll tell you if I was going, I would ask Joe Biden a very simple question. Why do they continue to support the Israeli state 
when it is involved in an illegal, murderous occupation of Palestinian territory. It has been denounced as an apartheid regime by Amnesty International, by Human Rights Watch, by the UN Special Rapporteur uh, on the Middle East when it's engaged in a criminal siege of Gaza. Where are the sanctions? Immediately, the European Union calls for sanctions against Russia for an absolutely barbaric invasion, but they resist, actively resist, sanctions against Israel. Not only that, they give special favoured trade status, the European Union, to Israel. Okay. So they uh, don't I, only I, not sanction I, I, them, they I'm support not, I'm not going to give... Because, because I, I think we've, we've, we've discussed a lot on, on the Israeli issue. But where's the there consistency? Broader, where's no, no, the no, consistency? No, no. But, 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 Richard, there is a broader question, and this is where there will be a, a critical divergence in opinion. Uh, as a government, we believe strongly in membership of the European Union. Your party supported Brexit. There is a question around, around, do you believe that as a European Union, we should continue to cooperate and work more closely to try to resolve uh, some of those human rights issues and so on? When it comes to defence and security, I mean, some of the challenges that we're going to face now are going to be in areas of cybersecurity. It's mm. not in the area of traditional warfare. That is going to require cooperation among democracies. One of our big challenges... Uh, and and okay. is, is around ensuring that our defence right. forces have and the we necessary will. We'll get on to that. I want to ask you, because you, t- you start talking there about the EU and our part in, in the EU and being very much your belief that the government, you know, we want to be very much central at the heart of the EU. Are we eroding our neutrality or non-alignment, as you like to call it, by partaking in EU battle groups? Because the decision has been made to move soldiers on UN peacekeeping missions in the Golan Heights away from there as part of our promise to join EU battle groups in 2024. Well, I, 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 Is that a good move? Is it problematic to you at all? No, because I think one of the things that's crucial for our Defence Force is, is that they are able, and if you talk to our Defence Forces, is that they are able to train with Defence Forces from other democratic countries, with our European partners, to be able to share experiences so that, you know, that we can understand combating some of the new challenges. Okay, so, for so instance, the key I mentioned thing, though, just around peacekeeping, and that we do have a pedigree, I suppose, as peacekeepers. And our UN missions and our our, um, involvement of those has been sort of lauded. It is one thing that sort of very much stands to us as a country. So if we're making that decision, you know, for resources or whatever reason, to pull UN peacekeepers away from areas like the Golan Heights and say, you know, join the battle group training force um, led by Germany... Is yeah. that a good thing? We are, I mean, we should be rightly proud of our participation. We're the only country that has participated in every UN peacekeeping mission. Uh, we're rightly proud of that. We need to continue uh, to do that. Uh, and by the way, you know, that's part of what I talked about, our non-alignment, because what we are engaged in there is actively playing a part in the world, not stepping back. Uh, and okay. it's not a mutually exclusive idea of uh, our defence forces cooperating as part of PESCO or indeed with our European partners to ensure that they're equipped to meet modern challenges, which, by the way, includes hybrid warfare, uh, cyber attacks, all of those things that, you know, we didn't have to deal with when the state I was founded. I need to, Richard, um, on all of that and our involvement, and I actually can't keep up <clears> with the, <throat> the number of different... Um, you know, uh, between battle groups and European assistance uh, programmes, but we are we are... We are quite involved, but the point that Malcolm is making is that we need to be involved in these areas because there are sort of national security threats and there is a, lo- a need to look to, to secure for our own security. Uh, well, Claire, we can simplify matters by just saying the word NATO. And the European Union no, is aligned... No, that's not... That's, I didn't that's interrupt not you. Let, let Richard talk. I didn't interrupt you. 
Europe is now aligned through partnership for peace with NATO. All we're seeing since this war began is further involvement in NATO. It's now increasingly, notwithstanding the horror of Putin's invasion and the legitimacy of Ukrainian resistance, it's now all becoming about NATO, about expanding NATO, about... Dr- was so, Richard, do you have uh, any so idea, old, so you have any idea about cyber warfare? But, but do you have any idea in, in, in terms of some of the challenges that we're going to face in, in yeah. terms of cyber warfare? We have an ancient computer response, system in the HSC, what response, which what, we should what resource response, the HSC. What response should we have where, and what we have had, is where we have had uh, Russian airplanes illegally entering Irish airspace, where we've had Russian ships uh, in our exclusive economic zones. What is the response going to be? We should, we and should, I'm not, I'm we not, should oppose Russian ships being in our airspace and our, in our ports. Uh, 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 and should we have our own defence forces in the skies, briefly on this. We should oppose American uh, troops okay. being in our airports. But you're, right. you're diverting from the, the core subject, Richard. Oh, okay, in defence, you will leave this country entirely defenceless. No, and that's the debate. vulnerable to attack. No, that's All right. the We have to end it there. We'll have to end it there. We'll have to end it there. But I know that discussion will probably go on. Um, Malcolm and Richard are staying on with me, of course, because next, um, are we turning a corner in the housing crisis? Do stay with us. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to full Senator Malcolm Byrne and People Before Profit TD Richard Boyd Barrett are still here with me. I'm also now joined by journalist Sinead Ryan and by Irish Times journalist Sarah Burns because we're going to talk about um, the housing crisis, the fallout uh, to that eviction ban and what the Taoiseach and Tánaiste um, have been saying about it in response to a lot of political pressure. Um, Sarah, to come to you on, on this, we heard this phrase... Um, we have turned the corner, we are turning the corner uh, when it comes to um, housing supply. The Thornish, there was positive and upbeat in an interview earlier today. And the Taoiseach had something slightly different to say later on in the day. So wh- where are we at in terms of government response to their own decisions, essentially. Yeah, well, they're pointing to these figures that there was 9,000 new houses built in the last quarter of 2022, and then there's been 2,000 commencements in January of this year. So, as the Tanisha said, he believes that we've turned a corner in relation to the housing supply. 
But I mean, this is cold comfort for people at the end of the month when the eviction ban expires um, and they're going to have to try and find a new place to live. Um, I think those comments won't really resonate with them. Um, the Taoiseach today was speaking in Washington and he was saying that they were confident that the government um, would defeat the Sinn Féin's uh, motion next week when the doll returns. Um, but I think in the longer term, when this motion, you know, is eventually defeated and all of a sudden we have these individual cases being raised by TDs in the Dáil, when there's media reports of families uh, having nowhere to go, I think this is going to have a longer term impact for the government and the response to that, uh, you know, we'll have to see what they say then. Um, and I know, um, Sinead, to come to you on this, that we heard, you know, there's no need for knee-jerk responses and, and, you know, when it comes to how we are addressing um, the housing crisis. But do you feel that perhaps there is a need for more communication? Like, we were getting all these stats and figures thrown out now about housing completions and um, housing commencements and what's been done in the third quarter and what's been started since January. Do we need um, a weekly update, say, on that, like better communications around what is being done if something is being done? Well, I think we could certainly do with clarity around what constitutes a commencement, a new house, a completion, a planning permission. The problem with anybody who's been following this housing story for the last, I don't know, decade is that everybody's carrying different lists. It's a bit like the HSE and the trolleys. The nurses have one list, the hospital has another list, the HSE has a separate list because it, you don't know what you're counting when. So I'm not always convinced, and in fact, I don't think anyone is a comfort level, that when they throw out 2,000s and 5,000s and 6,000, that anybody knows what that means. I mean, when it comes to house um, provision, say social housing provision, um, there, there's very little clarity over what we've built as a state, what we've bought as a state, what we've simply refurbished as a state and what we've taken on that people have simply moved out on. And I just think it would be great if we had lists that were super clear, that everybody understood and that everybody agreed with. They are available. The numbers are there. It's just that you get politicking because people then are pulling out, well, because it suits my narrative here or my figures and somebody else saying, well, it, you know, it suits our story. To tell. I, I, I get the point around, you know, we can throw out statistics here. For me, the issue is, is somebody in a home? Are, are they in a new home? When we talk about a completion, to me, a completion is when somebody has the key and they've arrived into their new okay. house. But there's and, people and now tonight who won't be in their homes for very I, much longer. I, 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 I accept that. So, so let's to, to talk about what the statistics are and why I do think the phrase turning a corner is correct. Last year, there were over 29,000 completions which involved people moving into new homes. So there are 29,000 uh, new individuals mm. or families who have homes last year uh, ahead of those who don't. So the reason why the eviction ban was, was brought in um, and it was to be a temporary measure, as also made clear, and that was we knew that there was going to be a danger uh, of a certain number of people being evicted. And those same people and are... And same people are, but it didn't... In that situation you know, now. But to, to do it over the winter months uh, was not viewed uh, as being appropriate. It faced, politically. It faced opposition. Well, not just politically, but it's, it's it, you know, it's not the right thing okay, to so do. Okay, so do it now if you've it. got to do it. Well, well the, the, uh, the, the alternative is, it, you know, if we kick the can down the road, and while we are increasing supply dramatically, um, the challenge is, you know, my, my big, 
biggest hope is that we can actually ramp up construction even more than we're doing it at present. All right. I mean, 29,000 was a lot last year, but we need more. OK. Uh, do you take any solace from what the Taoiseach had to say um, on this, that, look, we, we clearly our housing targets that we've set out don't nearly go far enough, Richard, that we need to do a lot more and maybe pointing to the fact that, you know, we may look at, at getting a, I don't know, a national building firm to start doing the job if we need some 250,000 homes. Um, that's what uh, Leo Varadkar had to say on that, that we do need to ramp up housing supply in a far greater way than we're targeted at it. Well, I'm, I'm glad the teacher has taken on a people before profit idea because we've been arguing for stake. Well, I don't know if he's going to take on <clears> the <throat> national building firm idea, but he certainly yeah. pointed to that need for 250,000 well, homes. He, he should certainly t consider taking up our options because his own plans have failed and failed spectacularly. And first of all, it is a cruel and callous decision to allow thousands of people, and that's what's going to happen, families, individuals, in particular mm. children, to enter homelessness because of uh, this decision. I mean, I spent the afternoon today with a family who've just been evicted, even during the eviction ban. They've done nothing wrong. Uh, there's two teenage children uh, and they are now homeless, okay? They got a little bit of a stay in terms of the eviction, but they have nowhere to go. And we went are into they, the... Are they in emergency accommodation? No, 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 no. they're the still in the house, but now? they're going to be physically evicted, okay? The judge gave a bit of a stay. The court case was on Friday. They've done nothing wrong. The landlord is selling, and they're out. And they, along with thousands of other people, are going to be in that situation where we've no emergency accommodation, and they've nowhere to go. And the first thing I would say is that the uh, Raise the Roof campaign has organised a protest next Tuesday at five o'clock outside the Dáil, and I would strongly encourage the public to let the government know what they think. But on the supply issue, I just want to say this. You see, the government say there is an increase in supply from an absolutely abysmal level. That is true. But the problem is the supply that is coming on stream is totally unaffordable because the developers are building stuff for profit, not to deliver social and affordable housing. If you have money, you can rent an apartment. Richard, there were 7, no problem. There were no 7, problem at the moment. I didn't interrupt you. Last year. No problem, right? But I, I, if you're if you're on a low or even a moderate income at the moment, you cannot find anywhere to rent. So if you lift the eviction ban, thousands of people will have nowhere to go. Okay. Right? Now, the government oh. need to prevent that from happening. And right. what and they've now done is open the floodgates to allow more misery on top of the 11,500 people who are already in emergency. Okay. And I think we're talking about housing supply versus the immediate problem of, of, of rentals and the ability just to have a roof over your head, let alone own a home. Um, on this one, like we're hearing a lot about these tax breaks for landlords and they're coming down the line, Sinead. Um, is there a need to, you know, speed that up? Or will that make a difference to the number of landlords that plan on leaving the market? We've already had tens yeah. of thousands of, of landlords leaving the market. We is do. What's, and, key, and what's, what's making them leave? Is it, is it all about the tax it's breaks? It's not really. I mean, there's chunks of landlords. Remember, a lot of the houses... Ireland is in a peculiar position in that... Um, Lots and lots of people bought second houses as a pension uh, at a time when money was being shoveled at them for free. Uh, and they thought it was a good thing to do. And because of our history and all of that stuff, we thought it was a better deal than doing what they do in other European countries and capitals, which is have a public housing model and then large institutional landlords, which we have more of now. So the issue is that you've got people who are always going to sell because now they're in their 60s. And that was the plan all along. And they're selling no matter what. You, it a doesn't matter break what won't you make do, a difference. It doesn't matter what you do, they are going to sell it. And actually, if they're retiring, most pensioners don't pay tax. 
So giving them a tax break means they can't avail of it. So, so that's not going to make any material difference to them. Okay. So that's the first thing. And then you've got a chunk of people. It is about the money. Maybe they're teetering on the edge because interest rates going up, their mortgage is costing them more. A tax break might make a difference. I'm more concerned about all the landlords who are not registered at all, mm. one way or the other, uh, and they're collecting the money without paying any tax. They're not going to care about a tax break. Yeah, and the other thing not, about they're not even doing it. Yeah, and the other thing about the landlords who aren't registered, it just means those tenants that are in situ as well, Sarah, they can't claim the help the government said is offering them. Like so, the the, the, the tax credit of five hundred euro that's coming downstream. All these lifting an eviction ban, and then with all promises of you know more help for tenants and tax breaks for landlords. Isn't there a political issue there that there's a time lag? in terms of what you were immediately doing and what help you say you're going to offer people in this situation. Absolutely. I mean, the government have come out with all these mitigation measures, the first refusal policy, the tenant-in-situ tenant in scheme, um, the in, increase in income limits for the cost rental scheme. But what are people to do in the short term, in the coming weeks and months? Where are they supposed to go? Um, Malcolm was speaking about figures. I mean, there was other figures out today that just 17 or there were 17 local authorities that are currently near or at capacity in terms of their emergency accommodation. So what exactly are people supposed to do? Malcolm, would you like to answer that? Uh, so, so what I can say, and I mean, I can speak about with regard to Wexford County Council, and I know in terms of the Dublin Regional Housing Executive, that if somebody uh, presents as homeless to them, they have said that they will find them with emergency accommodation. Uh, and it still remains... Uh, and what Daryl Bryan has also said to the local authorities, that those who are in houses where the house is up for sale and, you know, it, uh, the council is in a position that it can buy it, that it should, it should buy it. Yeah, now, that's all say, dependent on a lot of factors, not, isn't it? It, it? it is, but can, can I say, like, this is not, and, and there's no point in sugarcoating this, there's no point in saying that you're, we are not going to see a significant number of families in difficulty. If we didn't, I mean, if if the uh, if the eviction ban was extended, all it would do is. is but couldn't in we a have got all those of... tenants in situ? Could we got of all, all of that just nailed down? I suppose if we did extend the eviction ban period for well, a while. Well, these are a number Instead of Sarah's doing it now. mentions. I mean, there but are a number of those schemes. But they're not being taken up. That tenant in situ. There are a number. Well, there are a number of schemes that are, uh, and th there are other measures that are being that are being put in place that will try to address the short term problem. The difficulty is going to be in talking about. You know, if we if we kick this can down the road in in, a, yeah. in another six months, I think a lot of those landlords who you know are hanging on, it's not going to encourage right. them. Right. Okay. To but stay then maybe then and, there's and the tax breaks. They haven't come on stream either. So our our ultimate challenge is around supply, and I, I think this is and, and this is where you know Richard is wrong. There were seven thousand social and affordable homes provided last year, and right. I, I get the point you made around whether you know some of them were by acquisition. Uh, some of them were new builds and so on. But the difference is for those 7,000 families and individuals, they are additional homes that have been made available in the last I, year. We need to do a lot more, but that's a positive step. I, I, I really briefly, Sinead, just want to come to you on just the ECB and yeah. the rate hikes and what we may expect tomorrow. We've had all this Silicon Valley Bank mm. chaos and... Um, Credit Suisse as well. How might that all play into a decision at European level on what's going to happen well, at the key lending rate? Half percent interest rate has been well flagged in advance. That's due to happen tomorrow. Um, whether it'll be tempered now by what's going on with the banks, you have bank shares pr pretty much. The three Irish banks went tanked, but they came back. Um, the Credit Suisse thing is worrying, definitely. Uh, and 
it looks like Silicon Valley now will go into towards bankruptcy. I don't think that'll change Christine Lagarde's mind. I have a very, very strong impression they'll go for the full 5% because their bigger problem, even worse than all of that stuff, is still inflation. All right. OK, so not great news for mortgage uh, holders this evening either, potentially, but we'll have to wait and see um, about what happens tomorrow. My thanks to Sarah and to Sinead. Um, the others are staying on with me because coming up next, a new report says that many families simply can't afford to retrofit their homes as we face a continuing energy crisis. Stay with us. Welcome back. Malcolm and Richard are still here with me. I'm also now joined by Claire O'Connor from Friends of the Earth, who today published a report which was very critical of government policy on energy poverty, and in particular, the cost of retrofitting for low-income homes. Um, Claire, you're welcome along to the programme. To come to you on that, you have 49 different recommendations, I won't ask you to list them all out, to address rising energy poverty and to make Irish homes more energy efficient. And when it comes to people falling into energy poverty, what has your report found in terms of their homes being inefficient and therefore their bills being high? Yeah, so what we found really is that there's three main causes of energy poverty. One is low incomes, inadequate incomes. The second is poor quality housing, as you said. And the third is high energy costs, which is a result of our reliance on really expensive and polluting fossil fuels. So ultimately, what we need to see is households reduce their consumption of fossil fuels through retrofitting and ultimately getting off fossil fuels entirely. Um, and what our report has seen is that the short-term relief that's been provided for families um, in response to the energy crisis, it's not going far enough to address the long-term needs to, to ultimately reduce energy poverty, to, to actually address those root causes. And retrofitting is going to be a really big part of that because ultimately it lifts people out of energy poverty, but it also gets us off fossil fuels. So it's okay. really a win-win for climate and a win-win for social justice. We've heard a lot of fanfare around retrofitting. We have heard that the Climate Action Plan has, has measures in it, you know, to have carbon emissions by 2030. And that includes a target to retrofit 500,000 homes. Now, we don't have exact figures on how many homes have been uh, retrofitted, but we can take it that it's a fraction of that very high number. But what are the difficulties in people being able to get their homes retrofitted? Where do the problems lie? There is lots of problems at the moment, as we know, but one thing is really who is getting their homes retrofitted. And ultimately, we're seeing tenants in the private rental sector, they're not able to retrofit their homes at the moment because they don't have the agency to do that. So their energy bills are going up and up, but they have no choice in how well insulated their homes are. So that's a big challenge. And additionally, we're seeing um, retrofitting of social housing. You're saying that we need to retrofit half a million homes by 2030. Only 36,000 of them are actually going to be social housing units, according to the government. So we need to see much more and why ramped is up. that? Do we know why that is? I don't we know. We don't. Malcolm, do you have the answer? Why is I, there such I, a low number of I, social I, housing I, homes? I, that would, that I, I don't. What I, what I will say is, I mean, the, the fact that we're looking at a figure of 36,000 is in, there is a, a programme uh, being rolled out by quite a number of local authorities in terms of retrofitting uh, social homes. Uh, yes, it absolutely needs to be ramped up. There is an obligation on but us. But just as well, when you're talking about low-income households, where you're talking about people who will struggle to pay the bills, should they be the priority when it comes to retrofitting? Well, I, I think the fact that local authorities have been provided resources to be able to do it, uh, to do it to um, uh, social housing is, is critical. Yeah, I mean, this is the point around quite a number of... And, and I, I entirely get the point right. about that it needs to be done in a much broader way. 
it speaks to that, that bigger challenge around our over-dependence on fossil fuels. And I think okay. the I just recommendations want to stick to, are all in. You know, I do want to stick to retrofitting. You're shaking your head, Richard, and when Malcolm's the targets, saying... The targets for the local authorities and the actual rollout of retrofit of social housing is derisory. I mean, it's tiny numbers. Uh, it's double digits. You know, it's less than 100, for example, in Dunleary Town and similarly in most of the local authorities that will be done this year, right? Um, at, that, at that rate... What's the hold-up? I, it, there seems to be absolutely no drive in terms of uh, the government or even the budgeting allocation being provided for large numbers. I mean, it would take decades at, at the rate that the government are planning to deliver retrofit of social housing for them to retrofit the entire social housing stock. So there's no uh, kind of uh, you know energy or drive to ramp up the numbers that they're retrofitting. What, and yeah, then, I, yeah. it, and the other point I just really want to make is, in effect, what's going on at the moment is. Poorer people and low-income households are subsidising the retrofit of rich people's houses because the money that is being provided for grants can only be accessed by wealthy people who can make up the difference between the grant and the cost of retrofitting, and that's paid out of general taxation. Okay. So actually, people who can't afford to retrofit their own homes are subsidising wealthy right. people who can. It's absolutely uh, uh, unfair. Among your recommendations is to kind of overhaul uh, how the SEAI, who offer these grants, how that works, to simplify the whole process, Claire. At the moment, is there a lot of form-filling and not about a lot of clarity on what you're entitled to, what you can get done, how soon you can get it done. Do you think, how, I mean, just practically, how can that be simplified? Yeah, I think at the moment there's so much confusion around it and the government are really expecting people to come to them, to come onto the SEAI website, to fill out all these forms, when realistically the government need to give the SEAI the capacity to actually go to people and to, and to target people who are in energy poverty with the low incomes to make sure that they can access retrofits. Like, there, it really needs to be much more proactive And you're not talking effort. about social housing here, you're talking about to identify low-income households exactly. where this would make a real difference. Exactly, and that's what, what we're asking for is community energy advisors on the ground to actually identify who is in energy poverty, who needs this retrofitting. Because ultimately, the government needs to prioritise low-income households first. At the moment, it's whoever, it's a first come, first serve. Whoever has enough money gets the ret their home retrofitted first. But it, and there's a real issue there around inequity and like by the end of the decade, who's going to have their homes retrofitted? Is it just going to be ultimately like Richard has said here, just the, the wealthier families who could afford it. Yeah, it's interesting as well because I suppose if you are targeting, say, social housing stock in this regard, it's a, it's a win as well for, I suppose, state housing um, and not maybe having to provide as much, you know, subsidies then to people to help with paying bills and extra payments to go the way towards paying bills if we're looking at such a big retrofit fit project. Yeah, and, and by the way, having, you know, people going into communities and supporting people, and I agree, it, 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 it needs to be more proactive. I think you'll also be aware that at European level... Is there now, an excuse, just briefly, on that now? Because we do have this onus and this responsibility under the under 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 a climate change the, plan the, to the, do something well, about the, it. The, Does the, it just the, need to the legislation is binding. The legislation is binding. On. So it and, and and it's a case of and it's not just because we have to do it legislatively. We have to do it, you know, for our own existence. This is an existential mm. challenge that we're facing. I think there are a couple of things that are happening. I think certainly the with the, the new EU regulations uh, around new homes, it's very clear at, in, in terms of the standards there that, that, that it's going to be a lot okay. stronger. We do need, and I agree, we, we need to be more right. proactive in going out. But it's also about that, that other bigger challenge, uh, which is I around the shift to renewable energies uh, and okay, particularly yes. Irish renewable energies. And we, we know about all homes. that. Briefly, Claire, you have 49 recommendations on the Friends of the Earth report. Do you believe that 
those recommendations will be taken up upon. Is anyone listening? I think they're all really, really practical, really achievable and really um, implementable. And I think I think the government needs to now look at this report and actually see what they can do. OK, really need it. thank you so much for that. That is it from us. My thanks to all the panellists and everyone who joined us on the show tonight. Um, our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. Um, but from all the late team here, good night. Take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.